Thank you, preacher. I'm glad to be here. I was sitting all during this week listening to the preaching, and and uh, my mind went back to when the Lord called me to be a preacher. And uh, nobody believes this; it knows me now. But uh, before I was saved, I was real timid, real shy. Uh, Brother Keene mentioned the other day that there was a time when he was so bashful he had to go in the closet to change his mind. And uh, that was about, about me. I almost failed my senior year in high school because I wouldn't give an oral book report. I'd go to church. My family I went to church all the time, but I didn't even want them to call on me to lead in silent prayer. Uh, just don't call my name out. And when God saved me in January of 1962, immediately God began to deal with my heart. And, you know, you hear people talk about and they say, you know, I, I ran from God. That, that is such a stupid statement because He's omnipresent. And if you're running, time you get to where you're going, He's still there because He never left. He's always been there. But uh, I just told God, I think you probably call somebody named John Collier to preach, but it's not me. Because I felt like you ought to want to talk in front of people if you're going to be a preacher. But um, finally, I just, uh, in March of 1962, after I was saved in, in uh, January, I went forward in, in our church there in Garland, Texas, took my pastor by the hand, and I said, God's called me to preach. He looked at me and said, really? <laughs> I, I said, well, yes, sir. He said, I couldn't talk you out of it, could I? I thought, well, man, it's not supposed to work out this way, you know. I said, no, I, I really believe God's called me to, to preach. He said, all right, sit down. So I sat down, and after the invitation was over, he went up and he said, you know, Brother John Collier says God's called him to preach. So he'll preach his first sermon this Wednesday night right here in this pulpit. I looked up and the only thing in the Bible I could remember was thou fool. <laughs> I thought he is a fool to think I'm going to preach now. But I knew he, he you know, I had to and he probably knew best, and so uh, I began to work on an outline, and I was praying, God, fill that church up. If you'll fill it up, I'll let them have it. Well, I was praying fairly safe, I thought, because how many Baptist churches are full on Wednesday night? <laughs> but I didn't know my mama was on the telephone. She was calling in-laws and outlaws and everybody we knew, my baby boy's preaching his first sermon at 7 o'clock Wednesday night. If you're not there, don't count you a friend of ours. <laughs> I got to church that Wednesday night. I had my little old skeleton outline. It was puny. I entitled the message, Defective Consecration from 1 Samuel 15. Still have that Bible. Still have that puny outline. A skeleton outline and the bones were real weak. He finally introduced me and he said, you know, we're anxiously awaiting 
to hear what God has laid on Brother Collier's heart, and I'm thinking, me too. There was something laying inside there, but it was moving around. I, I was nauseated. I was about to throw up. And uh, so I stood up, and I was afraid to look out the congregation. I was afraid I'd see somebody I knew, and it'd scare me. And so I got my Bible home to put my little outline there. I took my watch off because the evangelist that was preaching when I got saved, he took his watch off and I laid it up there. And, and I preached my outline and I looked up and two minutes had passed. <laughs> and I thought, well, I can't let them out in two minutes. So I preached my outline from the bottom back up. Only another minute had passed. I thought, boy, you don't, you know, backslidden Episcopalians don't let them out that early. And this is the truth. I preached my outline twice, everything I knew from Genesis to Revelation and some things I made up. And nine minutes had passed. And I looked, my pastor didn't show me how to close out. I just said, that's all. And uh, my dad told me after the service, he said, that's about the best thing you said all night long was that's all, that's all. My mother was kinder than my dad was, but uh, thank God I, have, I celebrated last January 60 years of preaching. And uh, God lets me live to next April the 20th. I'll celebrate my 80th birthday. I'm never going to be as old and catch up with my good friend, Dr. Charles King. I'll always be young enough to be his son. But anyway, uh, so good to be here. Y'all notice I have an iPad. That does not mean I know one thing about electronics, because I don't. Uh, some, or oh, maybe two years ago, I was preaching Sunday morning in our church, and I had the volumes all turned down, the airplane mode on. And I said something that triggered Siri. And I mean, right there, we're streaming our services. My microphone's right there. And she came out and said, I don't have God in your contacts. <laughs> well, real quick, I said, well, I got him in mind, you know, like that, but... It was too late. Uh, my folk were about to lay in the floor laughing. and Seriously, I almost just said, look, let's just shut this thing down, go eat lunch, and come back tonight, give it another shot. But uh, So I called my granddaughter, and she told me how to straighten this out. And I thought I had it all straightened out. And about three months ago, four months ago, I'm preaching again Sunday morning in our church. And I, again, I said something, and a song came on. Well, I immediately just touched the side, and it went off. One of my men came to me afterward, and they laughed and everything else, but he came and said, Preacher, do you know what that song was? I said, I have no idea. And he told me. And I looked at him and said, I said, how did you know that song? <laughs> But you asked me afterwards, and I'll tell you what that song, I never heard it, and I haven't heard it since then, and I'm not looking for it. <laughs> Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. 
I count it a real joy to be here. I do count Brother Tim as a brother beloved and thank the world of him and, and, and Vicky. And as all of you are praying for Vicky on a daily basis, asking for God's healing, healing hand. Esther chapter 4. Things and situations in our nation are becoming extremely anti-God, anti-church, anti-Christian. There are those in our nation today in government that if they could, they would shut every church down. Whether it's a good church or a bad church, they would shut it down. When you think about right now, there's a man who has sued Zondervan and Thomas Nelson Publishers for printing the Bible because it is hate speech. Because of the stand that Scripture takes about the homosexual lifestyle. That has now become hate speech. Private businesses are being persecuted and sued because they have refused to do business that supports same-sex marriage. There is a new Queen James Version of the Bible that has dropped all reference in the Scripture about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Churches are having to make sure that their constitution and bylaws protect them and protect the church's ministry. What are you and I to do as preachers and you now as pastors to help our people to navigate this thing that we're suffering and going through? First of all, don't you become discouraged. Brother Price mentioned the other night uh, a statement by Adrian Rogers, and it is so true that the Trinity has never met in an emergency session. I mean, stop and think about that. God the Father hasn't called God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in and said, did you know that the United States government was going to get in that shape? I mean, after we helped them start this nation and has blessed that nation, did you think they would ever do that? No. God moves nations. God uses uh, moves in families and in individuals like pawns on a chessboard. He is still in control. Amen. He has never relinquished His sovereign right as creator and sustainer of this nation and this world. One of these days, all wrongs are going to be righted. One of these days, Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. And I love how Revelation puts that. That he's going to be cast there after having been loose for a little season. He's going to be cast there where the beast and the false prophet are. He's put them in there and they're still there. And they will be there throughout all of eternity future. Don't become discouraged. Don't let your people become discouraged. Secondly, don't give up. I mean, just sort of like Paul said, earnestly contend uh, for the faith. I mean, roll your spiritual sleeves up and say, we're in here for the duration. Yes. 
This is just the first round, second round, third round. We had not got to the last round yet. And when we get to the last round, we will win and there will be a knockout punch and the devil will be defeated forever and forever. Amen. Don't give up. Proverbs 21 verse 1 said, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he wills. Look at the book of Esther, if you would, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai speaking to Esther said, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there an enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou in thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And Esther knew you know this, and you know, I was thinking as I was uh, deciding what God wanted me to preach on today, uh, what do you preach to a bunch of preachers that have heard everything? And there's nothing new under the sun. I appreciate what Brother Martin said a few moments ago. I remember when I was on staff at Levon Drive Baptist in Garland, and uh, I was Brother Coleman's first youth pastor, and, and uh, we had Dr. Tom Malone down uh, several times. And we were at lunch one day, and I said, Brother Tom, I said, I'd like to use your outlines, and I'll give you credit for it. He said, John, you use anything I preach, you use anything you want. Don't you dare give me credit. I said, well, I was told I was supposed to. He said, yeah, let those guys give credit. He said, you start giving me credit, now I've got to go find where I got it and give them credit. And he said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's amazing when you and I realize as we come to the book of Esther, you never read the name of God. But all you see, God. You see how God works in the life of Vashti. Ahasuerus is queen. And how she would not go in and be paraded in front of the governors and the princes of the king. And she is deposed as the queen. And then they look around all over the provinces and 127 of them and they pick these young ladies out and they bring them in. And guess who is chosen to be the queen, Esther. Esther. You talk about God working here and God working there and God moving this and God doing that. It is the providence of God and that is so evident in this. In the book of Esther, in the pages that we read, you see the plan of Satan. Satan always has a plan. Now, let me, let me be up front with you. I don't think he ever changes. If something's not broke, why fix it? He's been pretty successful, has he not? Since the Garden of Eden, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, comes at us every day in one, two, or all three ways. Satan will work. Satan has a plan. And the whole plan is... He hates God. 
And the only way that Satan can come at God is through you and me, through the human race. I mean, you think about it. He, he at one time never looked in the face of God and said something, but he thought in his heart, I will ascend above the Most High. I will exalt my throne above that which is God. I call God, and God just said, no, you won't. Cast him out. I get so tickled, you know, you read the book and, and we come to Armageddon and we come to all of the end times and you'll find, as the songwriter said, we've read the back of the book and we win. Have you ever wondered, does Satan really think he has a chance? I think he does. I think he thinks if I can get this massive army to come against Israel at the end time, boy, that massive army that's never been before, we can defeat God. Ha, ha. Not going to happen. Satan has a plan. And he wants to destroy those who stay and stay true to God. He, he wanted and wants the wicked to prevail. But we also see the hand and the moving of God against the plan of Satan. King Ahasuerus, he got rid of Vashti, now he has Esther as the queen. Mordecai, her uncle, a Jewish man, he served in the king's court. He heard about a plan to kill the king. And he told the chamberlain of the king this plan. They found them out and then they executed those that were going to kill the king. And I love this. The Bible just simply says, and it was written down in the chronicles of the king. He didn't read it, but it was written down. Then later one night, he couldn't sleep. Now, have, have you ever... Think about this. Have you ever had a night when you couldn't sleep and you decided to get up and read a history book? I never have. I love to read. I love history. I've never woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, where is that history book? I want to read that some more. He gets up and tells them to bring the book of the Chronicles. I wonder how he found the exact page where that account was given. Oh, Haman, he's probably number two in the nation at this time, and oh, Haman hated Mordecai. Mordecai would bow to the king. He wouldn't bow to Haman. It just drove him up a wall. He'd like to kill him. As a matter of fact, you know the account. He gave these 10,000 talents of silver into the king's treasury so that he would destroy all the Jews in all the 127 provinces. After the king reads the, he, he reads the account in the chronicle, he brings Haman in. I love how God works. He said, let me ask you this. What would you do for a man that you think real highly of? What, would, what do you think I should do? And old Haman think, man, not anybody he thinks more highly than me. So he said, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd give him the king's ring. I'd put the king's robe on him. I would put him on the king's horse. And I would just bring him through the city. 
and let the people praise him. He said, great, do that to Mordecai. You ever been up here and all of a sudden you're down here? And he had to lead him through, oh, he hated him more and more. And so this decree goes out. Mordecai goes down on Main Street, the main crossroads. He's sitting there in the dust and the ashes and he's sackcloth and ashes and he's praying and crying out to God. And somebody comes to Queen Esther and said, do you know what your uncle's doing? That fool is down there sitting on Main Street praying out loud. Boy, she sends word down there to him and sends him some clothes. He gets away and that's what he says. It could be that you for this time have come to the kingdom. I want to lift that out and just for a moment or two share with you. Have we been born again for such a time as this? Did God allow us to be born? Did God allow us to live? Did God allow us to be saved knowing that we were going to live in circumstances like we're living today. Could it be that, and I'm speaking to preachers this morning, could it be that you and I have been called to our church for such a time as this? Let me be upfront and honest with you. I believe the hope of God in this nation are churches like you, Pastor. Churches like I pastored for 39 years. That we teach our people and we ourselves, we take our stand with and for God. The, the, the problem that we have, listen to me very carefully, my brethren, the reason we're where we are spiritually is because the churches are where they are spiritually. Our brother mentioned judgment must begin at the house of God. Why? Because that's where the failure started. Preachers compromising their messages. Don't preach about repentance much anymore. Don't talk about heaven and hell much anymore. Don't talk about godly living and separated living anymore. Because that's not popular. Sam Jones, a Methodist evangelist of two or three generations ago, Sam Jones said early in my ministry, I was afraid I would offend somebody. He said, now late in my ministry, I'm afraid I won't. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? This book is a definer. This book is a separator. And I think we have to, fellas, we have to come to answer the question, what will we do? If we have been born again for such a time as this, what will we do? Will we just be preachers? Or will we be God-called, Holy Spirit-inspired and filled and bold preachers of this infallible book? 
what kind of preacher will we be? Because the kind of preachers we are is the kind of people that our churches are going to be filled with. Will we stand for the Bible or will we go along with the crowd? Will we follow God and take back this land? Or will we remain silent as we have been as churches and see God like He did to Israel, Ichabod, the glory hath departed. I tell our church, and I still preach at our church when I'm home, we need to make sure we're part of the remnant. Not the ruin. The remnant. That group that is still standing with and for God. We cannot live on the past. These are days for positive action, for calling our people to come back to God. Making sure, I don't want to be political, but we need to make sure our people are registered to vote and vote. I saw a bumper sticker in, in Waco the other day. It said, if I die, please don't let me vote Democrat. Amen. <laughs> See, in Texas, we say things a little different than, than some folks do. We have billboards all over our state because we have a great influx of people from California. It said, Californians are welcome. Leave your politics out there. Amen. Yeah. We need to make sure that our people know what it is to live a holy, godly life, not at church, but on a daily basis. Possibly God has brought you and me to this time in order for us to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. It's amazing when you see what God did. I mean, you think about it. The Jews in Esther's day were in dire straits. The political machine was against them. Word had gone out that on a certain day they were going to kill every Jew in the provinces. Mordecai said to Esther, you need to go to the king and talk to him and request that protection and salvation would come to your people. Because you do understand, Esther, that before you were the king, you're a Jewish lady. You will die also. You know what? Esther had to make a decision. She sent word out to Mordecai and she said, Do this. Have the Jews here in Shushan, have them fast and pray for me for three days as will me and my maidens pray. And here was the decision, I will go to the king. There was a rule in the kingdom that you could not approach the king unless he had invited you to come. And if you showed up uninvited and he didn't raise the scepter to you, you were killed. And I love how Esther said it. 
She came to that place where she said, I am going to do what I have to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And she said, if I perish, I perish. The ultimate sacrifice that you and I can make is to give our life for it. I ask myself this sometimes. I have four grandchildren. I, uh, I, I remember when my children told me that they were not having any more children. I, I thanked them. I said, I cannot afford any more grandchildren. My wife could go to Home Depot and find something for our grandkids. I hated to go into Cracker Barrel when the, my girls were little because we'd walk out of there with two or three bags of pretty dresses. I love my grandchildren. I love my son, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law. God knows this old wicked heart of mine. If God give me the grace, I'd lay down my life for one of my children. One of my grandchildren. I'd do that. And I've said that before, and one night after I preached, the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, I'm not going to ask you to die for them, son. I want you to live for them. I want you to be an example for them that they can follow their granddad. You are the greatest example for your church. They look to you to be the one to lead them into winning this victory. And I think we have to come to that place to say, if I perish, I perish. How truly concerned, really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, right where the rubber meets the road, how truly concerned are we really concerned about God's will and God's way according to the Scriptures? You and I are eyewitnesses to how a society can become when believers compromise. When we don't line up with God and the teachings of the Word and take our stand. And as Paul said in Ephesians, having done all stand. I rejoice in the defeat of and reversal of Roe v. Wade. But for years, every Thursday morning, people in our city and our church have been down to Planned Parenthood because that was a day that they would abort, they'd murder the little babies. And we'd do sidewalk counseling. Right across from Planned Parenthood was a Montessori school. And those parents bringing their children in did not want their children to see people there talking to those trying to go into the murdering place. And so they went to the city council and they made a city ordinance that during the time that the school zone lights were flashing, you couldn't have any type of gathering inside that. We could stand there a block away 
But you can't talk to people a block away. And so we decide to stand there anyway. Be inside there anyway. The police came. And they said, if you're here next week, we're going to have to arrest you. We said, okay. So we told the people that were there, look, you know, don't come if you're scared about going to jail. They had uh, sort of elected me to be the speaker, and I, I made that statement, and then my first thought was this, well, I'm scared to go to jail. <laughs> but I was more afraid of not standing for the unborn. Being a voice for the unborn. We went back. The police showed up. The commander came to me and he said, Brother Collier, if I wasn't a policeman, I'd be standing here with y'all. But I want you to understand, it's my job. I said, do your job. There'll be no problem. Just do your job. Do what you need to do. But then we brought a lawsuit against the city. Lost in city court, we appealed it and won three to nothing in the appeals court. And the city of Waco had to pay all of our legal fees. My church was in a building program. We had had everything approved. They came back and required us to do several things. It cost our church $280,000. You know what my people said? It's worth a million to save an unborn baby. You see, there may be a cost. Look what it cost Jesus. As we were told in a previous message, look, look what it cost as Brother Gibbs talks last night for those early disciples and apostles. Are we better than they? Should we miss having to bear in our bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus as Paul talked about? But here's a wonderful thing. And I love how this story ends. Esther goes down, stands there. Who's there? The king says, Esther. He raises that scepter. Esther comes in and invites him and Haman to a banquet at her house. And you know the end result. Haman hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Mordecai ended up moving into his house, taking his place in government, and the Jews were saved. Why? Because Esther was born for such a time as that. And you and I have been born again for such a time as this. God bless you.